Last week, I ended with uh, a powerful picture of our brokenness before God. If you were not here last week, let me just bring you up to speed. I shared the story of Dave Reaver. Dave was um, uh, in uh, Vietnam and had a phosphorus grenade blow up uh, right as he was getting ready to to throw it into the enemy. A, A sniper shot him. It blew up right next to his face. It blew off his ear, blew out his eye, melted his nose off, melted his lips off, and the long and the short of it is he had uh, disfigurement and burns over 75% of his body. He's laying in a hospital bed in excruciating pain, and the man next to him is dealing with the same uh, issues. And while he's laying there, the man's wife comes in. She can't even recognize this man because he's so disfigured. She looks at the chart. She realizes that's her husband. She proceeds to take her wedding band off and throw it on his chest, and she says to him, I cannot be married to you. You're you're an embarrassment to me. I could not imagine walking down the street with someone looking like you. Dave Reavers laying in bed next, realizing that his 19-year-old high school sweetheart bride is going to be coming in to visit him. And you could only imagine the, the thoughts going through your mind, the rejection, the physical pain, the pain of your own disfigurement, and then wondering whether you're worthy of anybody's love or anybody's affection or anybody's care. And I told you the Holy Spirit brought that story to my mind because I think it perfectly captures our brokenness because of sin. Ours is not so much a physical disfigurement, but it is a spiritual disfigurement, a moral disfigurement. It is a, a, an emotional disfigurement. We have, been, we have been far worse because of sin than, than that man burns three-quarters of his body. So, so the picture is here we are laying in bed full of pain, totally disfigured from the person that God made us to be, waiting on the Lord to come into the room and fully expecting him to reject us. And what does the Lord do? He walks in. This was Dave Reaver's wife. She walks in, checks the wristband to make sure that's her husband because she can't recognize him. Walks up to him, kisses him on the cheek, his burned, scarred cheek, and says, welcome home, Davey. That was the turning point for his healing because if that would not have happened, he probably would have died. How many of you know people that have just given up on life and they just give up on the will to live and they just want to die? You might be here today feeling like that, but here's what I want you to see. The beauty of the gospel is God didn't quit on us at our worst moment. Instead, he kisses you and instead he welcomes you home. We say, well, pastor, that's a nice romantic story, but is it biblical? Have you ever heard of the prodigal son? Uh, it's biblical. You have a son who squandered everything and lived in filth and squalor. And God the Father is waiting for him and literally runs after him and kisses him and throws him a party. What a God we serve. <laughs> what an amazing God we serve. I shared with you last week, we, we went from being God-centered to self-centered. And I had a meeting this week. It was a great meeting. I love having great meetings Uh, the man sat down and he was talking with me about some relational issues and he said, Pastor, after your Sunday sermon, I realized the problem. I'm selfish. I said, yes, you are. And so am I. And then he said his girlfriend watched online and she called him up and said, I realized the problem. I'm selfish. And, And they both had a great... This isn't complicated. 
Part of our disfigurement is we cannot get outside of ourselves. We keep stumbling over ourselves. We are our own worst enemies, are we not? And that's part of the disfigurement that happened because of sin. I cannot get my eyes off of myself. My default is to think about how everything is going to happen in relationship to me. And that is a disease. It will destroy all relationships. And we're all, we're all infected with it. The second thing I said that happened was we were spiritually alive. Now we're spiritually dead. That is tragic. We're cut off from God. We're cut off from relationship with God. I said we started in a garden paradise, and now we're living in a cursed planet that's groaning for redemption, much like Dave Reaver groaning out of the agony of being burned over three-quarters of his body. Planet Earth is groaning right now because of sin. I said we had corrupted hearts. We had depraved minds. We have enslaved wills uh, that deals with the internal part of us. And then I shared with you our disobedience leads to guilt. Anybody ever been there before? The guilt produces shame. The shame leads to fear. The fear produces a hiding where we want to retreat. And then the hiding leads us to blaming other people for our problems. And how many of you know that is a messed up situation? So I told you, please come back this week because if I preached it good last week, you all left here very sober and depressed, <laughs> which is exactly what you should have left, all right? All right? How many of you know sometimes we don't spend enough time focusing on how messed up we are and how good the gospel is and how good God is? So today's the good news. Y'all ready for that? I already gave you some of it. You've been kissed by heaven. You've got a God whose arms are wide open and a God who's committed to restoring, to restoring us. And I want to pick up today in Genesis 3, verse 15, because here's what I want you to see about God. Right on the heels of our fall, from relationship with him, our spiritual death, our self-centeredness, everything we just talked about, right on the heels of that, God is already moving to restore the relationship. And can I just say this to anybody here today that you're struggling, man, am I too far from God? Does God really, does God really like me, you know? Does God, does he, is, can I be forgiven? Can I be, can I be restored? Have I messed up my life too much? I want you to see that at the very moment of our greatest need, God was springing to action. He was not sitting back passively. He was not pouting because he was mad or hurt. He was springing into action to begin the process of restoration. We find this in Genesis 3.15. Read it along with me this morning. It says, um, the Lord speaking, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Let me read this from the Amplified Version because it amplifies it. It, sp it spells it out a little bit more, and I like some of the clarification. It says, I will put enmity, and it, it defines that word enmity, open hostility. So there's going to be open hostility between Satan and the woman and between your seed, Satan's seed or offspring, and her seed. Now we're going to get back to that little phrase because that's interesting, her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head. So Jesus is going to fatally bruise the serpent's head. And he's only going to bruise Jesus' heel. Jesus is going to be wounded in the process of destroying Satan and destroying Satan's power. Here's what I want you to see about this passage in Genesis chapter 3. We're only three chapters into the Bible. We stumble upon the first promise that God ever made to us. Now, how many of you know we sang about today? God is a promise maker. He is faithful and true. The first promise in the Bible comes only a couple chapters in, 
And it is the promise that God is going to defeat the enemy and God is going to begin the process of restoration. This is good news. I want you to see this. That in the, this is a Latin word called proto-evangelium. It means the first gospel. When God speaks this truth out, he is sharing the gospel in miniature form. In fact, all of the gospel message is encapsulated in this one verse. And what I want you to see is the first uh, preacher of the gospel is God himself. God's the one doing the talking here. God is the one making the promise. And I want you to see something about this promise. First of all, there is a battle that has been prophesied. The key word is that word hostility. I will cause hostility open hostility between you and the woman. Now, when you read the Bible, what you find that's absolutely amazing is this seed that God promised is actually going to go through 60 generations and 4,000 years roughly until Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of that, of that prophecy, is born. When you travel through the Bible, we read about Abraham, we read about Isaac, we read about Jacob, and then we hear about Judah, and then we hear about David, and, and you trace the seed all the way through the Bible. But what you find, every time you find the seed, the promised seed, is you find open hostility. In other words, Satan is trying to destroy the seed. And here's what else you find, which is one reason why the Bible is true, beyond a million other reasons. But what you find is this, the seed goes through some seedy characters, let's just say, because that's all God has to work with. When you read the, the genealogy of Jesus, one of the members in that genealogy is Rahab, the prostitute. That's part of Jesus' line. That's part of where the seed traveled before Christ was born. But every time you find the seed, you find open demonic hostility from Satan attacking the seed. Here's why. To kill the promise. The devil's trying to kill the promise. And so the Bible is a book of spiritual warfare. From Genesis to Revelation, there's one theme that goes from beginning to end. It is Satan and his, his seed attacking Christ and his seed. This is why uh, we have to make sure we don't, or we, we don't avoid a tearless Christianity because the gospel is good news, but it's good news on a battlefield where there's war taking place. Some of you are in the midst of war right now. Some of you are fighting for members of your family right now. Don't be surprised at that. God said it was going to happen all the way back at the beginning of the book. God promised open hostility against you because you're part of Jesus and part of his tribe. So the seed and the hostility over the seed was prophesied from way back in the beginning of the book. Here's something else that was prophesied. There is a birth that's prophesied. So we have a battle. We have a birth. Now, I want you to go back to this language. And between your seed, talking about Satan, and her seed. Now, in the early parts of Genesis, we were talking about simple biology, male and female. How I many you know men do not have uh, eggs? We have seed. Women have eggs. You all with me? This is kind of like health class. All right? You get the egg and you get the seed and they come together. Bingo. Human, human life is created. But women don't have seed. But this woman has seed. It's not the seed of Adam who's fallen and broken. It is a prophecy about the seed of Jesus Christ 
that she would carry supernaturally because look at what Matthew shares in his gospel. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is no special, I mean, no uh, uh, mis mistake in the language. This is a special situation, and I want you to hear something. Uh, sometimes people will say, you know, well, Adam and Eve weren't like really people. They were mythological. They were a story. They were a parable of humanity. How many of you know that's dangerous thinking right there because the Bible doesn't say that at all? And if the seed is promised through Eve, the seed's going to come, then Eve has to be a real person or there's no real seed. There's a lot of churches who have lost the authority of the Bible. For instance, the virgin birth. There are some churches too sophisticated and too smart to believe in a virgin birth. But if you don't believe in a virgin birth, that you have no Messiah and you have no promised seed. And, uh, and if you have no promised seed and no Messiah, then you're a church that's religious and lost as can be because you are worshiping a false savior. The virgin birth had to happen because God is looking at fallen human beings, our identity completely shattered, totally disfigured from the way God created us, totally lost to the destiny and purpose of God over our lives, and God wants to do something about it. So here's the problem. How does God begin the process of restoring us back into his image and likeness and in mending the brokenness that's part of our humanity? How does God go about doing that? It's an ingenious plan. How many of you know he can't choose any humans because we're all disfigured and broken? So he's got to come up. First of all, he has to come as God, fully God. And secondly, he has to come as man, fully human, because he has to be able as the God-man to identify with our sin and yet be sinner, not, not be a sinner himself. This is fully God, fully man forever. This is the incredible wisdom and genius of God in sending the seed. I want you to see something else. We have a battle that's prophesied. We have a birth that's prophesied. And this is the good news. We have a bruising that's prophesied. Somebody is going to get a serious whipping out of this deal. And the good news is we're on the winning team. Look, look at what it says. Jesus Christ, the promised seed, is going to strike Satan's head. In other words, it's going to be a fatal blow. In the process, Jesus himself is going to be wounded. And we see all of this in the Old Testament. Every picture of Christ all the way through the Old Testament, all those Old Testament prophecies, all converging in one person, his name is Jesus. And that's another testimony about why the Bible is true. Just look at all the Old Testament prophecies about Christ and the odds of all those prophecies converging in the man Christ Jesus. The Bible is true. God's promises are true. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 2 about our victory and about the bruising. You were dead because of your sins. Let that sink in. We were dead because of sins. Because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all of your sins. Anybody grateful for that right there? We, and so look, at we were spiritually dead. Now we are alive. We were living in guilt and shame. Now we've received forgiveness for all of our sins. Hallelujah. What's God doing here? He's in the process of restoring uh, us, our humanity, to be able to truly reflect the image and likeness of God. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, at our encounter weekends, this is a powerful part. How I many you know we had a rap sheet a mile long? 
We are guilty as can be, every one of us, guilty before God. Imagine laying there totally disfigured because of my choices, my sin, and, I, and Christ is going to walk in the room. What am I going to say? How am I going to defend myself? How am, I, how am I going to tell him I'm really a great guy when I know I'm not really a great guy? I'm a messed up sinner who deserves death. What did Jesus do? He took my rap sheet. He took your rap sheet. He nailed it to the cross, and he canceled it. <laughs> Gone. Canceled. No accusations against me. Nobody pointing a finger at me. Canceled. My, my record has been clean because of Jesus Christ. And look at what it says. Verse 15. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And here we were, full of shame and guilt. Look what Jesus did for us. He shamed them, meaning all the demonic principalities and powers. He shamed all of hell publicly with his victory over them on the cross. Now, this is amazing. So Christ is resurrecting our broken humanity. He's forgiving us of our sins. He's canceling our debt. He's shaming the ones who shamed us. I mean, this is a complete transformation that God is doing, all because he loves you and he's committed to you and he wants to bring you back into full relationship with him and he wants to heal our broken humanity. This is incredible. Romans chapter 16, verse 20. The God of peace, I love this, the God of peace is going to crush Satan. How I many of you know that's a beautiful picture? The peaceful God is a devil-crushing God. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So what God is doing is he is restoring the image. He's restoring the likeness so that we can live and move and act like Christ, our standard bearer. Now, I want to show you something. Jesus is the very image of God. He is restoring us back to the model, to the standard. And I want you to see two verses with me where Paul makes this claim. First one is in Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. This is awesome. So if you want to know what God is like, you need to study Jesus. And I want to encourage you, we're, from Christmas to, um, to Easter, we're going to be in the book of Mark. I'm really excited about this. And we're going to be walking through uh, uh, the life of Jesus through the eyes of Mark. It's going to be awesome. But here's why this is important. If you want to know what God is like, you have to be an expert on Jesus. Jesus is the one who shows us what the invisible God is like in visible form. Now, here's what's cool, too. I'm excited that Jesus Christ, the second member of the Godhead, took on human flesh and will wear human flesh forever, which means I'm going to be able to see God. On a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, we will enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ, who forever will bear the marks of his humanity, reminding us of his affection for us, and will forever be the visible face of God in a human body. I don't know about you, but I like the fact God's a spirit, but I really like the fact that I'm going to be able to give Jesus a hug just like I gave all of you a hug this morning because uh, there's something about being able to see him and touch him and hold him. And how many of you know this is a sign, again, of his incredible humility that they would choose to wear this humanity forever and ever and ever. How awesome is he? Take a look at the second verse. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. This is part of the problem I talked about last week, having a depraved mind. Satan has twisted and distorted and blinded our minds so that we cannot believe. Notice it says they are unable. Everybody say unable. That means we are not 
able, we're not capable in and of ourselves to see the glorious light of the good news. In other words, the good news isn't good news to most broken, disfigured, lost people. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. Here's the part I want to emphasize. The glory of Christ, Christ who is the exact likeness of of God. Now, my background was in psychology and in counseling, so I've studied Freud and Rogers and all the theorists and blah, 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 blah. And here's what I want to tell you about the weakness of secular psychology apart from, from God. I read one time, it was kind of a humorous thing. All of these mental health practitioners got together for this massive conference, and of course, it was fitting that it was in California. They all got together in California, massive conference, and the writer of the article was summarizing the conference, and this is the summary of the conference of all these people who are dedicated to helping other human beings be the best version of human being that they can be. They all had different theories about human nature. They all had different theories about why people are messed up. Some people believed that messed up people were actually more healthy than healthy people. But of course, who knew what a healthy person was because they were all arguing about the definition. And then when they tried to figure out how to fix broken people, if you can't determine what a broken person is, how in the world are you supposed to come to a conclusion about how to fix them? Now, can I, can I just share this? This is really important. If, if we're all broken people, how do we know what a healthy person looks like? It's like asking a fish to describe water. They're like, what's water? They live in water. They've never had a philosophical discussion about water because they're surrounded by water. Do you know how ridiculous it is to ask disfigured, broken, messed up people what a healthy person looks like? Like, I would know. How am I supposed to know? I'm messed up. And so are all the philosophers and all the psychologists. They're messed up apart from Jesus, too. How many of you have heard of this guy named Abraham Maslow? He's in all the, the, the Abraham, right, right, Lynn, the pyramid of self-actualization. You climb the pyramid to where you become self-actualized. But, the, but Abraham Maslow said there's only been a handful of people that have become self-actualized. Jesus, glad they included him. Oh, Abraham Maslow, because he came up, he... <laughs> He came up with a theory. He's, he's got to include himself, or he, his theory wouldn't have much weight. But the stupidity of all this is it's like a blind man describing what sight looks like. Yeah. It's like a colorblind person describing what technicolor looks like. It, it doesn't work. Can you see this? What did Jesus do when he came to planet Earth? He showed us what a healthy human being is supposed to look like. Because if Jesus doesn't show up, it's your opinion against my opinion. And can I just say this? If there is no transcendent truth in our culture today from which to appeal, it, we are ripe for tyranny because the person with the most power will eventually take over. When you get rid of transcendent truth, in other words, a voice that says, thus saith the Lord, or this is the way it is, all you have is everybody's opinion. We need Jesus. We'll say, well, well how, are we, how am I supposed to treat my neighbor, ask Jesus. Well, how am I supposed to care for the poor? Ask Jesus. Should I care for the poor? 
Ask Jesus. Should I have compassion on broken people? Look to Jesus. Should I obey this or that? Or should I act this way or that way? Or what's the right way to live? Ask Jesus. Ask Jesus. Look to Jesus. If we don't have Jesus, we're in a mess. And in fact, we are in a mess. The more we get rid of Jesus, we're in a mess. Because the standard of the image is gone. And we're made in the likeness of that image. And so if we lose the standard, it's gone. I'm looking out at some financial planners out here. How I many you know when we lost the gold standard, all you have left is fiat money and hyperinflation because there's no standard by which your currency is based. Y'all with me? When you lose Jesus, he's the gold standard. When you lose him, all of life gets cheap in a hurry. And we, and, and we end up becoming living in this wonderful jungle where might makes right. And that's kind of what we're finding ourselves in right now. So humans, I want you to hear this distinction. Humans are made in, the, are, are made in God's image, but Jesus is God's image. We're made in the likeness of or according to, but Jesus Christ is the actual image of God. Christ is the standard. He is the model for what a human being should be. He is the full and complete embodiment of what it means for God himself to enter this created world as a creature. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. This is an amazing verse. The Son, Jesus Christ, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Isn't that awesome? This puts Jesus on a whole nother level. He's not just a nice religious figure. He's not just a prophet. He is the exact image and reflection of God. To gaze into the eyes of Jesus is to see the full uh, beauty of God Almighty, to see God in a bod. Uh, he is the standard bearer for us. So when Jesus comes, I want you to see this. He is showing us what we're supposed to look like. He's showing us how we're supposed to act. He's showing us. It's like we ask this question. Remember the old brace of what would Jesus do? Great question because that's, that's where we keep going back. He is the reference point for human existence, and he is the one restoring us to our proper image. Now take a look with me at Romans chapter 8 because this is an important passage. Romans eight twenty nine. It says, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. If you're reading from the King James or um, uh, ESV, uh, we get into some deep theological language. It says, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That's an amazing passage, and I'm not going to get into the depths of all that, but I am going to talk about this. What is the goal of God saving you? Ready for this? He saved you on purpose. Why did he save you? to return you to, the, or to conform you, rather, to the image of his son. Jesus is the destiny for us. Now, we had a beautiful wedding here yesterday, and the bride is very close to me right now, second row right over here. Um, <laughs> Vicky, beautiful, by the way, you look stunning. You had Drew up there bawling and weeping, and then he got me weeping, and it was a mess, but you look, you look beautiful. What if we took the bride out before the wedding? We went down the... Uh, the mud. We rolled her around really good, covered her from head to head to toe in mud, and then we brought her in here, and she made her way down the aisle to her bridegroom. That's a picture of Jesus, the bridegroom, and us, the bride. Jesus is going, hmm, not quite what I envisioned. <laughs> but he didn't leave us like that. 
he welcomes his bride, and then he begins to clean her up. Because it's not the image of God that's ever destroyed. I mean, you know, the image of God is beyond destruction. We were made in the image. Here's what needs to get cleaned up, our broken humanity. People are valuable because they're made in the image of God. That never changes. That, by the way, is the foundation for every right that we have as human beings, that we're all on common ground in front of the cross. The image of God is never subject to decay or being marred. So it's not the image of God that's marred. It's her humanity that was marred. So we would need to wash her and clean her. And this is what the Bible says husbands are supposed to do to their wives by the washing of the word. Remember all those great passages? Men, we're to be like Jesus in our home. Now, we need Jesus to minister to us, and then we minister to our wives. But the goal is that we look radiant and beautiful and that we radiate the glory and the beauty of God. Can I just say this? What a privilege. And can I just tell you this too? The image of God in you makes you so valuable. God will not quit on you. I need to say that again. The image of God in you is of such worth that the Father never stops pursuing you. He never quits on you. He never takes the wedding band off and says, I've had enough. Uh, I'm done with you. He doesn't do that. We do that, but God never does that because you're too valuable because you're bearing the image and likeness of his son who is the gold standard of what it means to be God. This is so good. If you could say, listen, theology helps establish you in truth so that you don't get flaky and do dumb things and believe dumb things. If you just heard what I said, you're too valuable for God to quit on you. It's like if you put time, energy, creative, genius, hard work into something, and all of a sudden it gets covered in mud, you're still going to go after that because under the, under the mud is precious, precious gold, all right? It's something of worth. So what's God doing in sending his son? He's recovering broken humanity so that we can radiate the glory of the Lord. In fact, look, look with me. This is uh, 2 Corinthians. It's not on the screen. So get your Bible open. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I'm reading it from the Living Bible because it, it captures some of the language we've used earlier in this message. It says, but we Christians have no veil over our faces like Moses had to put over his face We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. This is awesome. I told you that God is so incredibly beautiful and awesome in and of himself. He created currently about 6 billion people on planet Earth that are created to mirror his beauty and greatness. I mean, you know, your life is not primarily about you. It's really about him. And think about the ego of God, if there's such a thing. We use ego in a negative way, but think about the ego of God. God is so awesome, he made six billion statues that look like him. Why did he do that? Because he likes to be reminded about how awesome he really is. And every time he looks at you, he's reminded about how awesome he is. Every time the devil looks at you, he's reminded about how awesome you are. And he hates it. And he hates you. So what does God do? He creates image bearers. We're mirrors. When the fall happened, what we did is we turned the mirror this way. 
aren't I wonderful? And then God exists to make me happy. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Yay! Go to church, and oh, I'm beautiful, and, and all the promises are for me. Yay! Me, 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 me. We're messed up. We turned, it, we turned it back on ourselves. What does the Lord do? He turns the image back so that it reflects back to him, from him, through him, to him. And so instead of getting enamored like, like a, what was that, narcissist or in, looking in the mirror and, and drowning because he was so enamored with himself, all of a sudden the Lord turns us back to where we're supposed to be, to where we're reflecting the glory of the Lord. I shared with you before, you can, a mirror cannot reflect anything if it's covered in mud. So what does Jesus do? He starts cleaning us up. Why, if, if you've been at this church and you've been healed and God started restoring you from brokenness of the past, why is he doing all that? He's, he's cleaning the mirror. Squeaky clean. Why is he doing that? So we can reflect the glory of the Lord. You know, we use the term, you, you guys have probably heard this, that we're all trophies for Jesus. Well, what does that mean? It means when people look at us, they should go, wow, I remember who you were, and now I see who you are or what you become. And, and I just want to blow your mind here a little bit. You know, people will tell you, hey, when we get to heaven, man, we're going to be perfect, no more sin, and, and you know, uh, we're just going to be living in absolute perfection. And that's a half truth, because let me just explain what's missing from that. Praise the Lord, there won't be any sin. Clean mirrors. But check this out. We're made in the likeness and image of God. Jesus is the image of God. He saved us to conform us to the image, but the creature will never become the creator. And so we will always be in the process of becoming more and more beautiful. So after a billion years, you guys aren't going to be able to handle being around me. I'm going to be so amazingly awesome in Christ, you're going to go, wow. And guess what? I'll be looking at you going, wow. We'll be going, wow, we've come a long way. And yet we will have only just begun because perfection doesn't mean completion. Think about that one for a minute. Perfection doesn't mean completion. It means you'll be your awesome self ever getting more awesome, never with sin, but being enlarged into the image of the one who is God, Jesus Christ. And with faces gazing upon his beauty, we reflect that image back to him. What a privilege. Now, let me just share something with you. One of the ways I want to mirror God to you is by having a smile on my face. Well, Pastor Ron, man, you're just, you're just so energetic. You're just, I just love the aura about you. You just got such energy. No, I am a broken, disfigured, self-centered man who has encountered the image of God in Christ, and I'm passionately pursuing him because I know my destiny is to be conformed with ever-increasing glory into his image, and so I'm going to start by letting my face know that I believe what I just said. Now, can I just tell you something? If my job is to mirror Jesus, how many of you have seen those movies about Jesus and, he, and he's just weird in the movies? He's like, he's, like his, he's somewhere else. Like he's having a conversation with God. Like, yes, yes, Lord. He's walking like this and the disciples are following him and you're like, who wants to follow that guy? He's weird. <laughs> now, let me tell you what Jesus would be doing. He'd be hugging kids. He'd be wrestling with the kids. 
He'd be going up to people that were disenfranchised and hurt and broken and hugging them and loving on them. He'd be noticing people that were hurting. He'd be, he'd be having compassion for people. He would be happy. Let me tell you why he's happy. Because he's God and he's awesome. And his identity is rooted in who he is. And out of his incredible identity, we're going to get into this next week. By the way, next week is the end of the me series. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. But we're going to get into what this looks like. So listen to me. I cannot reflect the glory of the Lord without having joy in my spirit. Now, it doesn't mean life is not hard and we're in battleground and people, you know, we talked to people this morning that have lost loved ones even this week. I mean, I get it. But what I'm saying is, the, the demeanor, the default in my spirit should be one of joy. Why? I'm reflecting the glory of the Lord. And God is a happy God. And Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy more than any other human being. If you said, what is the most distinguishing characteristic of, of Jesus' life? It would be joy. Think about this for a minute. So the starting place to being a great mirror is get a smile on your face. And I had to tell you this, I consciously went through a season where I told myself, smile. And then it became a habit. I'm still working on it. My wife will probably tell you I got, a, you know, I got some areas to improve, but I, I'm a happier guy now than I've ever been at any time in my life. And listen to me, it's not fake. Like, I really like you guys. <laughs> I really like Sunday. It's not, oh, God, I got to go to church today and preach the word and... With all these sinful people that irritate the daylight side of me. No, 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 that's not it. I like you guys. I love Jesus. I'm loving life. I'm loving reflecting the glory of the Lord. And listen, this is what I get excited about. What happens as we continue to worship, as we continue to gaze upon the beauty of Jesus, the veil's been torn off of our eyes. When we sing truth about who God is, it awakens our spirit. I mean, you know, chains begin to fall off. You begin to understand who you are. You understand how much God loves you, and joy begins to come off of your spirit. Do you know joyful people are like magnets? Why did sinners flock to Jesus? Because he was a party. He was a human party. What were the disciples doing? We're going to get into this. We talk about Mark. You kids, get out of here. Jesus has no time for you. No, Jesus was leading the parade in the children's ministry at Living Stones Church. That's where Jesus was. He's leading the parade. Come on, kids. He's demo- You know, I had a pastor one time say to me, how come you at Living Stones, you always call your worship services a celebration? <laughs> I don't know. What should we call it? A morgue? Psych ward for depressed people? I mean, a Xanax clinic? I don't know. What do we call this? <laughs> I think celebration kind of fits people that are radiating the glory of the Lord. And guess what? Listen, last comment. The happier the church gets, the more irresistible we become. So I'm just telling you, we're not going to be able to buy land and put up buildings fast enough. We've got to come up with a better plan because when the glory of the Lord hits the church, people are knocking the doors down to, to get what we have. 
And what we have is Jesus. We have the model. We have the gold standard of human beauty. We have somebody that showed us what we're supposed to look like and how we're supposed to live. And can I just tell you something else? The fact that God took on human flesh and began ministering to people is the standard for the way we should minister to people. Why are we going to pray for people right here, right now? Because God loves broken human beings, and he loves to demonstrate his kindness, and he loves to do supernatural, awesome stuff and heal people and set people free. Why do we pray? Because I'm just trying to image the glory of the Lord. I just want to reflect the anointing of God off me, through me. I want to give it away, just like Jesus gave the presence of God away. He, he gave the virtue. He gave the life. He gave the anointing. You with me? This is so fun. This is when life gets to be so cool. When we step into the privilege of of being image bearers of the king, stand to your feet with me, and I want to give an invitation to anybody that just wants to come running back to the Father. Picture God Almighty with his arms wide open waiting for you to come running, and he's going to come running and meet you halfway. I love that about the Lord. So if you're far from the Lord this morning, we've got a bunch of people up here that are waiting to pray with you. If you don't know him, come on up. If you're far from him, come on back. If you just need encouragement today, we want to pray and bless you. Father, thank you for this amazing love story. Thank you for the kiss on the cheek and the welcome home and your commitment to loving us to life and seeing all of our brokenness, all of our scars, all of our pain absolutely healed and transformed. Lord, do that right now. I ask you to touch the hearts of people here right now and ask you to minister to them, Lord, in the, in the way that only you can. May they sense the power of your touch, Lord, even now. And for the rest of us, Lord, as we're walking out these doors, what a, what a joy with the glory of the Lord on our countenance, smile on our face, knowing who we are, knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're forgiven, Lord, to go out into this world and model that to other people. Use us this week, Lord, to bring hope and life and healing and salvation, Father, to people in this culture around us. We love you. We honor you. We can't thank you enough, Lord. Give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen, amen. Hey, don't forget, starting point at 4 o'clock and Band of Brothers sign up and all that important stuff, baby dedication. If you need prayer, come on down, all right? We want to pray for you.